0: do. the more
1: May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Our second reading is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This is God's word to God's people. So we are in the midst of a sermon series during Lent on discipleship, what are core principles of discipleship. And we will recall that a disciple is someone that follows somebody. And in our particular case, we are calling out that we are followers of Christ Jesus, that we see in Jesus our Lord and Savior, and so we have decided to follow that Jesus. And in the following of Jesus, taking it on in a serious way, we're calling ourselves disciples. We are giving our allegiance, we're giving our loyalty, our intentionality of purpose over to this task of becoming a deeper and broader disciple of Christ. And so it was a fair question then to be asked, uh, what does that mean? disciple actually look like, what are qualities, attributes of discipleship, and, and that's the question that we asked ourselves, and, and this sermon series is a result of our meditating upon what a disciple of Christ might actually look like, and we've come across five or six different core principles that we think are, are key uh, for us to live up, to live into, to become disciples of Christ. And we talked as we started the sermon series that the first core principle was that the church was a training center for disciples of Christ, that it was the place where we were uh, made and matured and mobilized more fully into being a disciple of Christ. We experience our faith and we express our faith better and better through our collective life in the church. Now last week we spent a little time to talk about Wesley's understanding of discipleship since I am a uh, dyed-in-the-wool Wesleyan. That way it was important for me to to share how uh, John Wesley's thinking on discipleship has informed my thinking on discipleship. And it was, uh, I think, kind of fun to note that John Wesley didn't think this up himself. He reached back into what Jesus was saying we needed to do as people of faith, and that was to love God and to love neighbor. So you will hear that passage from Mark that you heard this morning read for uh, the next couple Sundays, because that's the preamble of each of our core principles, that we would love God with all that we are, and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. In Wesley's life, he saw that translating into something practical, because if, if anything, Wesley was about practical theology. And so what you have in your insert, the image on your insert, comes from, uh, well, my image-making and John Wesley's thinking, using the Jerusalem cross and, and having four key things that Wesley said were important as a disciple of Christ to, to live into. Uh, the top is uh, the love of God and the bottom is the love of neighbor. Uh, the left is individual focus, the right is collective focus. And so we, we love God, acts of, or works of piety. We love God through our personal devotions and through public worship. And we love our neighbor, works of mercy, through individual acts of compassion, and then acts of social justice. So last week we talked about personal devotion, and today we're talking about the top right side of this image, which is acts of worship. Love of God through public worship. Transformed by God's love, disciples seek to love the Lord their God with their whole being. They want to grow in their love and knowledge of God and keep spiritually connected to the nurturing and the renewing source of their lives, which is God. Disciples do this through engaging in intentional patterns of public worship. Disciples seek to love their Lord through acts of celebration and faith expression with others gathered believers as they regularly attend Sunday worship, attend seasonal special services, and frequently partake in the Lord's Supper. We do communion once a month at our 9 and 1030 services, but at the 8 o'clock service we have communion every Sunday. And I want you to know that John Wesley's a little happier with that 8 o'clock crowd. <laughs> he would want us to be doing it every week. Every week. It's such a rich resource. So worship. Well, it just is central to who we are. It's the center point of who we are, of the church's being and the church's doing. The word liturgy, which is a word that describes what you read in the bulletin, the the, uh, order of worship that is a liturgy, it derives its meaning as the work of the people. It is our job to engage in liturgy. It is what we are to be about. God loves us. We experience that love. We love God back, expressing that love in praise and in worship. Truly think about it. If if we really think God is who we say God is in all our worship services, we ought to, in humility, bow down and praise and worship that God. Indeed, imagine a church that didn't worship. What would that be like? Well, it would be a service group. It would do good things maybe, right? It would be like Kiwanis or Lions or or Rotary. Maybe it would be an education center or a community gathering place to work on particular issues that are confronting the community. Maybe it would be like that. Or maybe the church without worship would be a place for uh, potlucks and fellowship, hanging out together, maybe like, uh, maybe like a senior center or a youth center. But a church without worship, I mean, it really is not a church, right? It's not a church. Worship gives the church its distinctive identity, the gathered together children of God, expressing their shared love of God to God. So, the the providing of worship that Gloria and Jenny, uh, the choir helps us to do, our, our musicians, that Rachel and I help to do, the providing of worship and the participating in worship These things are key to the church's purpose, and they're key for us as disciples of Christ. Worship worship is our public response to what God has done to us, what God has done with us, what God has done among us. I would suggest worship helps to keep us in perspective, to keep ourselves in perspective. Do you, mean, uh, do you remember Wayne's World, that, that goofy movie? And there's that scene in that movie where uh, those two characters are uh, approaching backstage of a concert that's happening, and they bump into Alice Cooper, and they're just flawed to be in the presence of Alice Cooper and they go, we are not worthy. Do you remember that? (laughs) We are not worthy. They bow, they supplicate themselves in front of Alice Cooper. (laughs) We, We do that to our celebrities, don't we? Kind of, kind of. We get with a famous person someone who we, maybe we look up to, maybe it's a, a world-renowned scientist or an athlete or a, a theater person, wherever it is that they derive their um, celebrity. We get in front of them. We get a little tongue-tied. We get a little sheepish maybe. We, we feel maybe a little bit like we're not worthy to be in their presence. You know, we, we don't know how to talk to them. We're not really sure what to do. And we're talking about God now. We're not just talking about Alice Cooper <laughs> or, or you know, the the coach of Clemson, wherever John is. We're talking about how we should behave to God. And shouldn't we have maybe not the "I'm not worthy" business? Let's not grovel too much in front of God, but shouldn't we have some kind of high level of uh, awe and honoring of gratitude and wanting to praise? I'm thinking we should. And I'm thinking worship helps to remind us that we We ought to have those kind of qualities towards God and helps us to participate and own into those qualities because we are not the creator. Newsflash, right? We're the creature. God's the creator. And as much as we want to control our lives Don't we know we're not in control? There are things that are happening around us that are beyond our control. Some of them we pray are in God's control. And some of them we know are just spinning around us. And as much as we want to feel that we're the ones that lifted ourselves up by the bootstraps and we made ourselves successful... If we're truthful with ourselves, we know that ultimately we are not self-sufficient. But we are standing on shoulders, we are beneficiaries of countless others around us. And I like to think, God. And we're members, one to another, of a larger group. We really are not independent operators. We don't go through this life alone. We can't make it. We're intertwined, our lives. Worship that is facilitated well and and participated in uh, with a vigor, with a, a giving yourself over to its spirit That kind of worship is uplifting and is a marvelous, marvelous antidote for the pains, the worries, and the sins of our lives. Because we are again reminded of the truth of who we are and whose we are, and we are connected to that source of spiritual power that then moves in a special way within us, bringing healing, bringing confidence, bringing comfort, perhaps bringing a a reassurance. And maybe the chains that we have gotten ourselves locked up in, those prisons, those things fall away because of the power of the relationship with God that's nurtured in worship. And maybe we feel set free in a new way. Maybe we're just powered up, renewed to face the challenges that are in front of us. One of the things that comes to us from worship that it's good to be reminded of is that worship helps us to realize this drama of covenantal life that God has been doing with us creatures for millenniums? What our scriptures witness to God's wanting us to be in right relationship with God and, and making a covenant with us over that and, and trying to draw us along at, at whatever the expense may be, perhaps even his son that we are a part of a salvation drama that is unfolding. We're reminded of that in church. Because we're told through the voice of Paul that we are the body of Christ. That in some fashion as we gather ourselves, as we are gathered together... In the aggregate we are a representation of Christ again to our time and place all the varied gifts all the varied graces bundled up together become Christ a new presentation of Christ for our time Paul would have us believe that that our gifts and graces are for the common good not for our own individual goods and that through the combining of these gifts and graces, we're able to convey the teachings, some of the healing power, the compassion, the helping of Christ, of Christ, to our time, to the people outside our doors. Now, Peter would have us believe that we are a royal priesthood as we gather with one another in worship. That we are actually as a royal priesthood, representing humanity to God. And we pray for not our needs only, but we pray for the needs of the world. We pray to bring the world to God's attention in prayerful humility. We humble ourselves, sackcloth and ashes you see in Scripture. They're working that middle of trying to, trying to please God, trying to help people get presented better to God. And we also, as priests, stand in the middle between people and God, looking the other way, representing God to people. Words of inspiration, words of advice, conveying blessings, even as Bono likes to say, upon those who are not kneeling. A new chosen people trying to be whom they are becoming thanks to the power of the Spirit experienced in worship. A royal priesthood, the body, Of Christ. And lastly, I like to think of of worship as the place in which we can let down our guards, kind of. kind of be open to those things that are greater than ourselves that we have a hard time putting into words. Through songs, through sermons, through our experience of the Spirit in this place, we build a common language, a common sensibility that we pass on to our children or on to our neighbors that has something to do with the divine that has created the cosmos and somehow, somehow is even attentive to each one of us. What a mystery that is. How do you put that into words? The church is the, is the bearer of the mystery of the divine of that transformative love. And though we may not have the theory of prayer down exactly right, or we may not have all the gestures or the patterns of of what we do to evoke God's presence or to experience God's presence, we come to the church, we come to the altar, we come on bended knee to experience that, to get a glimpse of that of that which is more than us for our lives. The rituals, the sacraments, they try to reveal the truth of the transcendent power through which we live. The water, you know, the water. I don't know, somehow the water cleanses us. We're made new. And somehow the bread, the common elements of bread and juice or wine, somehow those are changed. And as we take them within ourselves, they somehow change us. Weave us closer to God. Connect us better to one another. How does that happen? How does that sacrament happen? Mysterium tremendum is what Rudolf Otto called all of this stuff. I like to grab that and throw that out every once in a while when I can. It's fun to say, mysterium tremendum. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what's going on. That's what's going on. It's the tremendous awe-inspiring mystery of that which is greater than us which we try to, we can't harness it, but we try to connect to it and participate with it. And worship is a pathway for we disciples to do that. So as we create an image of a disciple of Christ, you know, I ought to have this be a, a picture of a person, and we're filling in parts of it. Uh, so an, another thing we can grab hold of and have up there for ourselves as a part of an image of what a disciple of Christ is, is that they're not only people who have a private devotional life, who spend time on their own in communion with God, but disciples of Christ are people that show up and participate in worship, help to make it powerful for the rest of them gathered here, and soak in the power. Of the experience. So uh, we invite you to embrace public worship's heightened meaning, to revel in its power, and to participate, give yourself over to its mystery. Like the countless millions that have come before you on whose shoulders you stand, you will be the shoulders on which others will stand as it goes forward. So do this stuff. Intentionally pursue it. It's what disciples of Christ do. Lift up your hearts. Open your minds. Set loose your spirit in the worship of the one universal and holy God. Amen.